0: The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. When my sister was pretty young, it was evident she needed glasses. She was constantly pulling things Close to her face, she was squinting. She would get very, very close to TVs. And eventually, all of that led to doctor's appointments being made. Uh, diagnosis is coming, prescriptions given, and then glasses. And I still to this day, this is around like three and a half, four years old. I still to this day remember driving home the very first time she had received her glasses. She was looking out of the car window as if she had never seen anything before. She was memorized by the beauty surrounding her, and eventually, all of a sudden, she just gasps very loudly, "Mom, look! there are trees on the mountains she'd spent her very short amount of life missing the beauty surrounding her because her vision was blurred and it wasn't until she was able to receive the proper diagnosis and receive glasses that she was able to experience the fullness she was always meant to have. Today, as we continue in this series entitled Choosing Joy, as we've been walking through this book called Philippians, we are gonna be talking about four areas in our lives where we need to put on Jesus' covered glasses. Because without them, we will be walking Blurried lives and missing out on the fullness in which we were called to walk in. And so we tend to bump into things or experience the pain of blurry vision and the importance and need of glasses. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, we are going to be starting in verse 2. And um, we're going to jump down. To ver- we're going to read through verse 9. I've practiced these two names that you're about to read like a hundred times, and I'm still going to get them wrong. So I just let you know up front. Um, so I entreat Yodai, and I treat Sineti. Agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonables be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any reason to praise, let these things, think of these things. What you have learned and received and heard, seen in me, practice these, and God and the God of peace will be with you. I don't know how many of you have ever been on the receiving end of unwanted attention. I know I have many times in my life. Uh, but the one that I can think of the most or the one that instantly comes to my memory was a time when I was in junior high. I was on the leadership team at my junior high, which often meant that we were um, taken out of class to go set up for events that were happening around the campus. Which, thinking back about that, that might have been child labor. Never mind. <laughs> uh, no, it was about leadership and development and growth, right? Um <laughs> But there was one specific time we were, out, we were going to set up a dance, and we had to go prior to the in classes and make sure all your teachers approved of it. And I would gotten approval from every single one of my teachers besides my math teacher because he'd been out sick this whole week. And so that Friday morning, I went to his classroom early to see if he was there to see if I could ask to miss. And he was there, and he had no problem with me missing it. And so he gives me the homework. He tells me what we we're going to do in class and, so, and sends me on my way. Well, right as that happens, the bell rings. Now, he was in a portable building surrounded by other portable buildings. And if you see portables, right, they have that little ramp. And the bell rings, and all these kids start running it or start walking into class. And so I'm kind of squished up against the railing. And I think to myself, oh, this railing isn't that high. I'll just jump it. Now, I know there's a statement that white boys can't jump. 90% of the time, that is true. I really did believe I was the exception, though, because I love track and field, and I did uh, high jump, triple jump, 100-meter hurdles, and 400-meter hurdles. I love jumping events, and that wasn't much higher than a hurdle. I can do it. So with much, without little thinking, I just leaped. The problem was I didn't factor my backpack and the weight of my backpack. And so as I jumped, my feet clipped, and I... I mean, I smash my face on the concrete so loud that it literally starts echoing through the buildings and everyone's eyes turn directly on me. And I'm pretty sure my pride was more hurt than my face and my face hurt a lot. (laughs) And so I quickly ran away. All this could have been avoided if I simply was patient enough to wait for a couple more kids to walk into that classroom. Now, I can only imagine this is exactly how these two women felt when their names are being called out in front of a church audience. Now, when we read uh, the latter, these uh, parts of the Bible in the, in the New Testament, these are called epistles, these, these were letters. And I think we often forget that we don't, they weren't just kind of read in chunks, but they were read as a whole. And so this, this church has been given a letter from its founder, this guy named Paul, and you can imagine that no one was missing that Sunday because their, their friend, their, their leader has written them something. And so the everyone shows up and they're reading through this and they're talking about all these beautiful things and all of a sudden your name's called. And someone else's name's called. And could you imagine what everyone in that audience just did? Yeah. Right? Just a quick turn of the head and looking straight at them. Now all of this could have simply been avoided because every indication about what was happening here was that it was petty, something small, something insignificant. The reason why they were fighting was, and the reason why people believe that is because of the lack of information presented. Paul was never afraid to call out people's sin. And was never afraid to say like, something evil is happening, we need to correct it. It doesn't matter where you are at. You could be a great leader um, like Peter, who was called to be able to spend time with the Gentiles and stop. And so Paul calls him out. Or you could be like kind of just someone in the audience who was sleeping with his stepmother and Paul would call you out. (laughs) Yeah, gross. Um, And all of those things reveal that Paul wasn't afraid to talk about anything. So here, the lack of information reveals that it was too small to bring up but also it was divisive enough to split the church. Now, we would never do anything like that in our day and age, right? Uh, You know, masks, no masks, uh, inside worship, outside worship, uh, the dress code. Oh, wait. (laughs) No, we probably would. See, many of us can easily get caught up on the things that don't matter as much and, and get in the way of what truly matters which was community. Now, Paul is not a person who doesn't understand this. We're actually told in the book of Acts that one of his closest friends and him had a, a split over something small. The word that's actually used in, the, in that conversation is uh, the, word, the literal word was a heart attack, meaning that this argument caused such a divide that they never be, were friends ever again. And it was over, should they bring someone along on the journey or not? something insignificant, something small. And so the first thing that we have to recognize is this, is that we are gonna need Jesus-covered glasses in our communities, that we are gonna have to put on lenses so that we don't walk in the blurriness around us. And now, Paul isn't saying here that we can't have emotion or we can't have passions or beliefs in something. Not at all. He's saying, that what we need to do rather is be able to come to one another, to be able to work through our differences because community is important. I mean, he talks so much about that in other books of the Bible, that the value of community. And if you read the book of Acts, the reason why people were so blown away by the church was because of the community and the way the community lived with one another. We are told that they didn't, they, that people were, um, didn't have any needs, that their things were met. There was pure joy. And the reason why everyone was looking at them and going, I want that is because of the, of the community that they had. See, the early church was known what they were for, not what they were against. The sad reality is today our churches are known for what we're against, not what we're for. And, see the, and so that's why we need to, to put on Christ-covered glasses. And he tells us exactly how to do it. He first says to these two women that you would agree in the Lord, or rather that you need to learn to humble yourself first. That you need to choose to humble yourself. Um, one of my favorite, uh, I think, writers, pastors is a guy named Francis Chan. He wrote this book called "You and Me Forever: Marriage in Light of Eternity," and he has this chapter in it called "Fight." And he opens it up saying, I, "This is kind of misleading." because I don't believe as believers we should be fighting, but let me kind of help you understand what I'm getting through. And then he says this quote that I think is, it's just stood out to me for so many years. He says, our marriage problems are not really marriage problems. They're heart problems. They're God problems. Our lack of intimacy with God causes a, causes a void that we try to fill with the frailest of substitutes. And when those substitutes fail us, we become angry. Now, this doesn't just apply to marriage, right? It applies to all of life that our problems, if we were to be really honest, are our own heart problems. And so he continues on in this chapter to say that if if you're going to fight, if you're gonna choose to fight as a believer, the only area that you can fight for is to fight for who's gonna be humble first. Who's gonna be the first one to admit, hey, I'm, I was acting in pride or I, I wasn't acting the way that Christ would call me to. And so he tells these two women that, hey, do a heart check first. Humble yourselves and then see if that will cause, uh, cause this divide to go away. And if it doesn't, Then he says, invite in this other person named Clement. We have no idea who this is. He's never talked about again. Um, But I think that's the point. He's not this big Christian leader. It was just simply a third party that can be there in the midst of it. You see what Paul was doing in these first few verses here is walking through the Matthew 18 principle where Jesus talks about how do we actually deal with conflict? We do our best to first recognize our heart issue in the problem and then try to solve it. If we can't, invite someone else. And then it goes on to say, eventually to invite the rest of the church. It says, invite the fellow workers who names are in the book of life. He's saying that it's so important to have Jesus covered glasses in our communities that we need to do everything possible to fight for them. and we do that, by walking in humility. And so the question becomes is, who in your life right now do you have a divide with? And are you allowing your pride to get in the way of being able to walk in the beauty that Christ has for you? I mean, that's a coworker, a friend, a neighbor that you need to simply say, hey, like we need to figure out our differences here because there is deep value in being able to be together. Look across this room and each and every one of you has a different skill set and a different gifts that were uniquely given to you, not for you just to have on your own, but to share with everyone else around you. That's what it means to be in a healthy community is being able to use the gifts God has given you to be able to bless not only yourself, but everyone else around you. And this is what he's telling these two women. Will you choose to lay down your differences or try to come up with the compromise that it that it will allow you to be able to be united. And so will you do that today? Will you choose to put on glasses? It's actually a quick note that we're told in in, in the Gospels that by Jesus that it says that if you knew, if you're walking to church and you knew that you had an issue with someone, it says, Stop. Don't go to church, but rather put Put those things aside and go try to make amends with that person and then go to church. That's how valuable community was to Jesus and to Paul. The second thing that we need to understand is that we need to put Jesus-covered glasses on in our words, our words. It says here, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasons be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. I don't know about you guys, but that just seems a little crazy. right? It's hard to think that in every situation, in every season, we should rejoice. Um, because we just tend to experience the hardships of life. You know, there was a study done in 2005. Uh, There's a guy who went on and, and uh, started looking at the different cultures and different languages. And it was determining kind of what kind of types of words are being presented, and what he found to him was very shocking was that every culture on average has more negative terms than positive ones. Which means that we will think more negatively and speak more negatively as a whole. And I don't think that many of us realize that's not shocking. Like, life is hard. We experience things. We, ha- we want to be able to communicate the things that, we, that have happened to us. It's the reality of the evil around us. And, and so we see that. And yet Paul here is telling us that we should rejoice then. That word rejoice is, it, um, could be easily described as joy over circumstances. And so how do we have that? How do we have joy over circumstances? Well, he tells us here, the reason that we can have joy over our circumstances is because the Lord... Is at hand. Because Jesus is king, because he is the one who is on the throne, I have every reason to rejoice above what I'm feeling. Now, he's not saying I can't have hardship, I can't experience the pain of life. He's just saying, in light of that news that your king is alive, he's conquered the the grave, that you are no longer condemned under the law, but been been forgiven by his bloodshed, that you have a reason to give praise. But for many of us, we don't. Instead, we focus still on the negatives, on on the pains of life. So the question then is, how do we be able to do this thing? How do we able to put those glasses on? Well, we have to be able to receive the truth before we can either be able to speak the truth. I uh, love the fact that I get to read to my daughters still because I know that there's gonna be a point in their lives where they don't want me to read to them anymore. There's this little book that we read uh, about these wooden people called the Womex. And the story starts with uh, this uh, woodmaker named Eli, who creates each and every one of them and places them into this community where these wooden characters come to life. And at some point, that community, they're given a box with stars and dots in it. And those stars and dots were given to them so they can go around and start placing them upon people. And and you if you were a star if you were a good singer if you were beautiful if you had money um, you would get dots if you were chipped or if people didn't like the way you you smelt or whatever right? like it was just a, a way to judge one another. And uh, the main character of this story I can never pronounce his name so I just call him Max and I just tell my kids I'm sorry I just I can't do it. <laughs> um, but Max um, is is a is this woodpecker who's covered in chips and doesn't look pretty. He didn't have um, a good skill set. He kind of was down in life. And so he was covered in dots, very saddened. And he was just kind of always like hiding out. You know, He'd go hang out with other people who had other dots. Well, eventually um, at one point in the, in the book, there, he comes across this girl named Lucia and she has no stars and no dots. And that shocked him. And he goes, oh, you deserve a star because you have nothing. And he put the star on her, but the star fell. And that made him mad. Why don't you want my star? And so he tried to put on a dot, but the dot fell. And that confused him. He says, why don't the stickers stick to you? She says, well, uh, a few years ago, I started to go to the woodmaker's house and I started to allow him to speak to me. And I care more about his words than yours. And so that confused this guy and he didn't understand what that meant and he couldn't sleep. And eventually he goes, I'm going there. And so he goes up to, to the woodmaker's house and he opens the door and he's about to turn around. And when he hears his name called, he says, come to the table, come sit with me. He's like, you know my name? Yeah, I created you. He goes, I've seen you've got a lot of dots. Oh, I'm so sorry. Like I tried really, really hard. He goes, I don't care about those. You are beautiful because I created you. You have value because I care about you. And he was confused, didn't understand. Because, but I, I thought I had to work. I had to earn it. Because no, like your value becomes because of me. So they start talking for a little while and and Max couldn't understand it. And so he's like, Why don't you come back tomorrow and see? And we'll continue because come each and every day. And as he's leaving, Eli, the woodmaker, says, hey, just want to let you know, I love you. And he said, in Mac's mind, he goes, I think he meant that. And his first dot fell to the ground. You see, the reality is if we want to be able to have Jesus-covered glasses in our own words, we have to be able to experience the truths of Jesus' words to us. Because I don't have a reason to rejoice if I don't know that I'm cared and loved and valued that God doesn't look at my circumstances or what the people around you have placed upon you to say this is what makes you healthy or whole or loved or valued, but I do because I created you and I created you with a purpose and a plan and you are deeply loved and deeply valued. And it's when I experience that, that my circumstances do not make me sad or happy, but rather the king who speaks to me does. And that is what it means to rejoice always. And that is the reason, right? His reasons for rejoicing. And Paul understood that. He says, I know what it feels like to go through nothing and go through everything, but I count it all lost if I did not know the truths of Jesus. And so are you putting on your Jesus-covered glasses every day? Mm -hmm. Are you spending time with the one who's gonna speak life into you so that you can then speak life into the things around you. Because without it, you will still experience the pains of the world around you. Uh, he continues on and says, don't be anxious, which instantly everyone goes, that makes me anxious. But, uh, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your quest be made known to God. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The third thing that we need to have Jesus covered glasses on is in our souls. See, you know, I jokingly said like when we read that, we get anxious because we are um, we think to ourselves like this is that means that Paul is saying anxiety is a sin. It's not at that in the slightest, but rather he's saying that anxiety is not a byproduct of Jesus that we shouldn't be experiencing that. But he goes, you will, right? Because he gives you a formula of what to do when you're anxious. So he's not condemning your anxiety, but saying when you experience it, it's your body telling you to do something. Now that um, in our day and age means that it could mean that you need to go see a doctor and get some diagnosis and and experience um, the freedom that can happen with medicine but it also needs to partner with the things that Paul says here. And that partnership is to prayer and supplication and, or other translations to petition. Now, um, I think for most people, there's a, a, a simple understanding of prayer. And I could have spent an entire, ser- I did an entire sermon actually on this um, a couple of years, or I think this last year on prayer. So I'm not gonna do it all today, <laughs> but prayer at its simplest, is communicating with Jesus, just just a conversation. But how many of us understand petition? What it means to petition when I'm anxious. My cousin, um, when he was in high school, really, really wanted a wiener dog. But his parents had zero desire for him to have a dog. And so he started to petition for a dog. And what he would do was, Each and every morning, he would write a sticky note and put it on his dad's briefcase before he left for work. And he left for work early. He would start writing notes on the toilet paper of the bathroom so that every time they pulled it, they would have to see, I want a dog. He would literally send letters to his dad's office so that he would receive that note from his son they would have, he literally, I think about at one point we put dog food like on the stairs of his house so they would walk in to see it. Like what he did, and I helped him at times, um, was give up his time, his money, and his effort towards the cause in which he was hoping to receive. And he didn't stop until he got it. And eventually he did get that wiener dog because they're just like, oh my gosh, I guess you're really committed to this because of how long I think it was like eight months of this that he did this. It was it was a he didn't give up. And I think so many of us when it comes to this topic, like we, we're I'll do a quick prayer and that's it, and go, man, I haven't received anything, I haven't experienced that peace, so I just give up. That's not what it means to petition. If your soul is anxious, then it's something that you need to start realizing is that you've got to start giving up time, money, and effort to the things that Paul called you to do. I mean, I'm going to start to say, maybe I shouldn't be watching TV right before I go to bed and use that time rather to pray that the God of peace would guard my heart. It didn't say that my anxiety would go away, but rather it becomes the filter that anxiety has to go through. That is a difference but we don't recognize and we don't understand the, the, how much we are actually consuming or f- continuing our anxiety by the things that we are participating in. And so what we need to start doing in our lives is being willing to, for a season, give up things that are good for things that are greater. I'm not saying that entertainment's not a good thing. I think it's a great thing. But in a short season, I can give it up because I want to receive something more important, more valuable peace I'm not saying that I shouldn't give up all of my relationships because relationships are good. I'm saying that, hey, maybe some friendships I need to not say yes to or spending so much time with them so that I can spend more time in prayer. That way I can receive something greater. See, that, that is important for us to start to recognize and realize in our lives that when we are experiencing the pains of life, that if we want to receive the gifts of, that Jesus has for us, which is, this is a beautiful promise. Right? That the peace that surpasses understanding, meaning even though my world is still chaotic, I recognize that there's peace surrounding me, that I'm being covered by God because I don't feel so anxious over it. And so what areas in your lives do you need to give up for a season so that you can experience the peace that Christ has for you? What areas in your lives do you need to put on these, ex- these, these Jesus-covered glasses and say, Lord, I'm feeling very anxious about my children or about my job situation or about the financial market or or whatever it is and saying, Lord, I I need to not focus in on that so much right now. I'm gonna put these glasses on and and I'm gonna put those things aside and focus in on you so that you can then start to speak to my soul so that my soul will become healthy. Because that way I can then operate out of health when I'm dealing with my children, with my job situations or the financial market. It's when I put these on that I can operate in them clearly. But without them, whoo, I'm blind, I smack into things, I get hurt. And so, and then lastly, we need to put Jesus-covered glasses on in our actions. It says this, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and that the God of peace will be with you. Paul is uh, the guy who wrote this letter. And I think for many people, Paul, uh, we think that Paul was this like, great philosopher, which he is, and a great thinker, but we, we forget this reality about Paul. Most of the times when he wrote, it was when he was in prison. Now, this is important to know because what this is telling us is that Paul would rather be doing something than writing something because he would only write when he was forced to write because that was the only action he could do, Right? And so, this, this statement right here is literally Paul's heartbeat. This is exactly his life. He experienced the truth, so he ponders upon it. He, and that, that pondering eventually leads to practice. It leads to practice. And one of the things that I think was so important to Paul was the great commandment that Jesus declared in Matthew 22. It says this in Matthew 22, verse 37. And he said, this is, this is Jesus talking. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law of the law and the prophets. This was something that I think Paul cared about deeply. This, this truth that we need to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, all of our minds and our souls. We need to love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, when we hear that, we, we might have some questions. What does that exactly mean? What does it mean to have a neighbor? That's something that people always talk about. Well, a neighbor isn't someone you get along with because we, we don't have problems loving the people we already get along with. And scripture tells us that. It says, even the sinners know how to do that. They know how to throw a party in knowing that they will receive a party in return. It's it's this declaration that it's easy to love the people who love you. And so that text isn't saying, I need to go and love the people that I already love better. He's saying, like myself, he's saying, you need to learn to love all people the ways in which you would love them. Now, in Christian society, there's this phrase that, to be honest, really irks me to my core. I can't say it's unbiblical because I think at its heart it is, but I think it's become unbiblical. And that statement is love the sinner, hate the sin. I hear people say that all the time. And in that, not yet. Uh, And that statement, I think at its core, I guess makes sense, but... When we were really honest, we, when we live it out, it's really mean. Let's just think about like the, the seven deadly sins. You got lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, wrath, envy, and pride. So let's just say that you went up to someone and said, I hate your gluttony. Now, if you don't know what gluttony is, gluttony is the worship of food. And if you were to be honest with yourself and really think about it, how many of us have done that? How many of us have truly worshiped food? See, it's not about overeating or it could be also be about undereating. It's simply, am I spending most of the day thinking about food? Well, I know I have at times. I'll be real. And so let's just say you go up to someone and saying, man, I hate, literally hate your gluttony. I hate that you're constantly thinking about food. I think I hate that reality that that is destroying your life but I'm told that I'm supposed to love you. So will you come hang out with me? If I'm on the receiving end of that conversation, I'd be like, kick rocks, dude. Like I'm out. Like, no, I'm not hanging out with you. But here's the truth. We do this all the time with our actions. You're really gonna eat that? I can't believe we would think about allowing your kids to do that. I'm sorry, we don't have that in our house. See, we we do subtly say those things to people and yet we are called to love. See, the more biblically accurate description is the one that you saw on the screen already. It's to love the sinner and to hate your sin. Because what this is declaring is that I'm gonna love all people and I'm going to look at myself in the pride in my life that says, I think I'm better than the LGBTQ community. That I think that I'm better than the person who is only focused on their image, who is so consumed with money. See, that is the pride in me saying that I am better than You. And that is, at its core, sin, one of the deadly sins of Scripture. And so what Paul is saying here is that if you want to put Jesus-covered glasses on for your actions, that you have to actually look at your heart first. And you have to actually ask yourself, why am I not willing to invite this these people into my house or, or this type of thing in? Is it because I'm a fearful or am I gonna choose to ask Jesus to help make sure that I don't become those things, but rather be the light that changes those things in someone? And similarly to all the other ones, it has to do with the time I spend with the creator, the time I'm spending in the word of God that I will not be able to do any of those things. I will not allow my actions to represent Jesus if I don't know Jesus, if I don't spend time with him. But here's here's the reality for most of us. Most of us know about the glasses. Most people understand that God gave us glasses, a lens to look look through, and maybe at some point in our life, we have placed them on but know what most people have done after they placed them on for a little bit? They took them off, put a mark on the Bible and started walking back around, blurry. And that's sad. Could you imagine my sister, that first moment seeing the beauty of the mountains around her going, I don't like it. Here, mom, here's the glasses. But the sad reality is so many of us do that every day because we are so consumed with our way of thinking instead of being consumed with Christ's view of thinking. So which one of these do you need to put your glasses back on? Or which one of these for the very first time you need to experience? And maybe you're in this room and I've never experienced Jesus and, and my My encouragement for you today is maybe today is the day. Maybe today's the day where you can say yes to Jesus to the very first time, and you can experience the freedom that you were designed to have because you're being able to live a life through his lens, not your own. Because His says that when I am the Lord of your life, that you'll be able to walk in a completed version of yourself, a whole version of yourself that is healthy and good because you're walking through my perspective, not the world's perspective. If you haven't received that freedom today. I pray that you would. Come talk to myself, Michael, or anyone else after church or under the tent. We'd love to have the conversation with you. And so, will you put your glasses back on today? Will you choose to love the sinner and hate your sin? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for. Uh, your truths, that you give us perspective that goes beyond our understanding and be able to help us to see clearly. Lord, I ask that as we spend this day and each and every day moving forward, that we would be intentional to put our glasses on so we can experience the wholeness and health that you have for us. God, we love you. We give you thanks for who you are. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.